Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. Hopefully that challenge last week hit home, and hopefully you did it, so Here is the uh, review of the week. This one came in titled Rise Up, Five Stars on Apple Podcast. Dan hits home with each episode. Dan challenges his listeners to be better. I appreciate its content, and it makes me feel encouraged after listening. I highly recommend this podcast. And this guy put his name on it. So this guy's Justin Willoughby, and he, uh, he has a podcast called 600 Pounds Down pretty cool. He actually lost 600 pounds. Pretty amazing. Guy weighed 800 pounds and now he weighs 200. So pretty, pretty cool. So guys, before we uh, begin today, usually I record or uh, I say a prayer before we record, but today I'm actually going to say a prayer while we're recording. So we'll begin. So uh, dear God, as always, allow the words that come out of our mouths, the questions and stories we share be most beneficial to people who are listening. So today I want this podcast to affect five particular people. So I want this one to affect the guy who's having trouble in his marriage right now, the guy who's thinking, how do I get out? Is this thing over? I want this one to affect somebody who's just lonely. I heard on John's podcast that one out of five guys or one out of five people think of committing suicide every year. So if you're that one person who's literally thinking of the way out of this world and how to end it, I hope this changes that. I hope this pulls you away from that spot. The third guy is the guy who is struggling with his faith, struggling with his relationship with the Father. Fourth one, the fourth one is the guy who's just drifting aimlessly through life, who has no direction, has no purpose, uh, just goes wherever the winds take him. Hopefully this helps you change that. And then lastly, the the fifth guy I'd like to help is the guy who has no worth or his self-worth or he doesn't feel worthy or he feels worthless or he doesn't feel like he can affect anything or change anything or make a difference in the world. So God, please help the words and questions, stories that we pose in this conversation affect those specific five guys and make a difference in their life. I'd love for them to be able to live in awe, live inspired, and live life on fire. And with that, we have got an unbelievable person with us today. Welcome, John O'Leary. Well, Dan, what a what a beautiful introduction. And I gotta let you know, man, I I do these a bunch, probably, I don't know, a thousand interviews or so by now. And I, I don't recall a single one that began in prayer. So uh, I'm not saying that sometimes guys don't quietly say a prayer to themselves or pray before the mic picks up the sound, but for you to begin so on air, dude, it's 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 good and it's right and it's awesome. So it's also a first. So uh, good morning to you, and I'm glad to be on your show. Well, I'm so thankful to have you. Um, 
I've listened to a number of your podcasts and and books this week in preparation. And one of the things that I heard was, you know, would you rather have something happen today or would you rather have something happen three days from now? And everybody said, I'd rather it happen three days from now so they could build up and enjoy that anticipation of the moment. So as I woke up this morning, I had a slight bit of disappointment because I'm going to interview you today. <laughs> well, that, that disappointment's going to grow as our time together continues. I'm telling you that right now. So uh, sorry, you can't go back in time, but here we are together now. Christmas morning, man. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had that thought last night. I'm like, it's like Christmas Eve and, and the presents are coming tomorrow. So Thankfully, you're here. So for those that don't know who, you, a little bit of, I'll say, resume, you've written two New York Times bestselling books, In Awe and On Fire. You're, you may or may not know this. You're a top 50 speaker in the world. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. That's flattering. I was talking to a buddy of mine this week, and he says, hey, do you realize he's number 47 on the top list of speakers for the entire world? I was like, holy cow, that's awesome. And then you have a fantastic podcast called Live Inspired. Every episode that drops, you know, you've got longer ones and short ones. They're amazing. So oh. I love I love how you do that. Your your goal is to help people live inspired. And man, you do exactly that. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I'm not great at taking praise and I don't take credit for any of that work. When you go through that long brag sheet, the reality is I've got an incredible team that guide my steps. We got an incredible father that um, provides the energy and the wisdom to hopefully take the next right step. And so, you know, we're going to go through the story today, but you're on the phone or you're on the call right now. This a guy who's an introvert, struggled academically, struggled with self-confidence, struggled in his faith, struggled in his relationships, dating, like every single guy you prayed for on the front side of our conversation at some point or another was me. So the fact that any of those brag sheet items, whether it's the author or the speaker or whatever else is on there, no one's more surprised than I am. <laughs> and I kind of intentionally did the resume side of things just so I could hear your response and other guys could hear the response. So oftentimes we have a hard time accepting somebody that gives us a compliment or giving us a little bit of praise. And we say, don't mention it, deflect it or what have you. So uh, what you heard, John, was give credit to his team and the people around him, which is a big, big deal. If you don't have people around you that are helping guide your life, it's a lot harder. So, uh, and then also really cool, kind of like the quarterback who credits the offensive line. Uh, it's a great way to lead. Well, and sincerely, sometimes you can tell the quarterback is saying the O-line did their job, but you know, in his heart, he's thinking, yeah, baby, but I did mine. I did. Yeah, I, I really threw that pass in there. Those of us who are best at what we do recognize how how critical that offensive line is, like completely. I don't care how good Patrick Mahomes is. You saw what happened to him when his offensive line went down in the Super Bowl a couple years back. Like with without our guys around us, we fall apart. And so your podcast, part of the community that you're building, reminds us that uh, you can do a lot by yourself, but not all things. You need your faith, you need clarity, and you need guys in your corner. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to start off with uh, one, just thanking you. So you often, when I see people or greet people, I think about you. And the reason I think about you is that times I've got to be blessed to meet you in person, you've greeted me like I'm literally your best friend. <laughs> 
and it feels genuine and it feels wonderful and it feels like um i'm seen heard recognized and i matter and uh, anyway i one thank you but from your example i remember that when i'm greeting people to step out of the routine and instead show them that they matter and that i care and that i'm genuinely excited to see them so thank you how do how do you do that <laughs> Oh, well, man, Uh, a glass of wine sometimes helps if it's an evening gathering. So uh, that's one thing you could try to utilize. But for the most part, most of the gatherings I'm part of aren't in the evening. It is in the day. A couple of things that I leverage either intentionally or accidentally at this point, just kind of part of the the habit. Agmondino wrote a book in the 60s, I think, called The World's Greatest Salesman. Yeah, phenomenal book. It's a pretty solid book. But in, in the book about halfway through, he asked the question, how do I greet every person I meet? And I will butcher this, but here it comes. So this is the world's greatest salesperson. And that ought to be each of us because you are all promoting something, whether you like that idea or not, it's it's real. So how do I greet every person I meet? And then Og says, in silence and to myself, I say, I love you. I love you. Though spoken in silence, these words unwrinkle my brow they smile through my face. They echo in my voice. So I think the way we walk into a room or the way as a gentleman named Dan extends his hand and we look at him and we look at his heart and we look at his life and we can say the words, honestly, I love you. It changes the way we then extend our hand, the way we smile, the words we speak, the way we then pull you in and give you a hug and treat you like you matter. So that's what I've been doing now for years and now I don't say those words anymore. I just, I model it. I try, I try to be love. And then secondly, and I know you're a man of faith. I, I through omission mission and commission, try to be as Jesus-like as I possibly can. And I ask myself, what would Jesus do in this situation? And, and he, he's always leading, man. He, even in the middle of a crowd, uh, he's the source of life and love. And so even in the middle of a busy life or busy room or packed house, whatever it might be, I I try to be as Christ-like as possible. And I think that's extraordinarily attractive. I think people pick up on it. And I think it reminds people not of the value so much of Jesus, of Og, of John, of whoever that person is in front of them. It ultimately reflects that value back to that person seeking it. So I, I try to be love to remind you, Dan, and your listeners and others that I meet in the marketplace that they matter. Well, thank you. It's it's certainly influenced me. So I know the story well. However, uh, I can't tell it like you can tell it. Would you would you mind telling whatever parts of the story from when you were nine, you know, through however long you want to take the story? Uh, would you mind sharing? Sure. So I'm gonna I'll go short, and then you ask as many follow up questions as you'd like. Sounds good. So here we go. You know, there's so many ways to be, even begin a story like this. One way is this. The story that Dan is asking about, I never told anybody until I was 28. So a lot of the stories we have, we bury. And what turned, and I, I almost never share this part, but this is it. At 28 years old, I was in a church service, and the pastor was preaching on the on the talents. So learning about talents, one, three, or five, and whether if you've got five, multiply three, multiply one, multiply. And I'd always felt like I was a guy with one talent. 
I'm, I'm not being humble. I'm being honest when I say I'm not athletic. I'm not academically, you know, relevant. I'm not super social. Like all these things that other guys had, that wasn't me. So I'm, I'm relatively faithful, I guess, but I, don't, I only had one talent. I knew that. And that day on that Sunday, this, this guy was preaching. And sometimes it's almost like a movie scene where like the light, like the guy looks directly at you in a big service. All of a sudden the light is now between him and you. And he's preaching now on the one talent, inviting those of us with one to embrace the gift that God has given you and to do more. You're called to do more. You're called to multiply. So that happens on a Sunday. Two days later, I get a call from a little Girl Scout who says, would you speak at my school? And on the heels of being challenged by a, a brother, because guys, you can't do life by yourself. We need others. We need people to challenge us and call us out. So on the heels of that service, I said yes to this little girl. There were a grand total of three Girl Scouts in the room. That's my first presentation. Dang, you heard the story before. It led to a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a couple thousand, couple million people live, a lot more online. Because, because a pastor reminded John O'Leary, and now I'll remind your listeners, that whatever amount of gifts they think they have, they have enough. The, the answer is yes. Like Do more through your life. You're called to it. So what I shared with that group of Girl Scouts is this story. I, I told them the story of, about a little boy named John O'Leary, age nine, in St. Louis, Missouri, who watched kids in his neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. They were 11. I was nine. So I figured if they could do this and get away with it, come on, man. So it was on that weekend. My father was at work. You met my dad a couple of weeks ago. My mother was out with a couple of sisters. The house was all mine. I walked into the garage. It's January 17th. It's cold. It's 730 bent over a can of gasoline, try to pour a little bit of liquid on top of the flame. And before the liquid came out, the fumes pulled my little flame into the can, created this huge explosion, picked me up and launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage, set my world on fire. There's so much to that day, to the garage, to the family. And I'm not going to tell those stories unless you ask me about them in a, in a moment. But ultimately, I find myself in an emergency room after this series of being on fire for a couple minutes and burning myself all the way down to the bone in Samaria. Like, I'm, I'm dying. I'm dying. My dad came in first with profound love, which I was not expecting. I was expecting wrath. But he came in just with grace and love. And right behind my dad came my mom. And this is where I just, I'll spend another minute and then turn it back over to you. But she walks in, she takes my right hand and she tells him, guys, listen in, like my fingers are amputated now, but they're amputated because on the day I was burned, they were already done. So she takes the hand of a little boy whose hands are so badly burned, the fingers are about to be amputated. Imagine what that looks like. And imagine what it feels like for a mom, but she's bold. So she takes my hand. She pats my bald head. The hair's all been burnt off. And she tells me she loves me. Just going back to our line from a couple minutes back, I love you. And that, that matters. So I look up at my mom and I say, mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And I assumed she was going to say, no, you're not going to die. Please. Who told you that? That lie. But instead of providing hope, which was what I was longing for, my beautiful mom provided truth, which is what we are desperate for, brothers. We don't hear it often politically, 
or relationally. We don't even hear it frequently in churches. Truth. Seriously, truth with a T, capital true. This woman comes in, takes my hand and says, baby, do you want to die? It's your choice. It's not mine. And I look up at my mother and I said, mom, I I don't want to die. I want to live. And her response was good, babe. Then take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him and you fight like you never fought before. She said, your father and I will be with you every step along the way. But do your part. Fight. Fight. So, Dan, on January 17th, after an explosive morning and after siblings stepped up and after a father's love, it was the challenge of a mom who came in not so much with hope as much as with truth that reminded me not only how difficult the journey would be, but that it would, that it would be possible. Yes. Yes. Your mom. Wow. She's got a way of directing. She's got a way of challenging that um, a lot of moms have that for sure. But yeah, that, that story where she said, this is on you. You got to have faith. You, you've got to make this decision right now. Like that was probably maybe one of the key points of you being alive. The, the, the wild thing, and you know this too, but I, so the book on fire, when they first published it, it was a picture of O'Leary wearing a suit. I look very, uh, I look very <laughs> stately, very political. I might even run for office guys, you know, vote. I'm whatever. I'm a Democrat. If you want, I'm a Republican. If you prefer, just vote for me. I'm, I'm wearing my suits on this book jacket. So that's what it was. And I wrote him back and I'm like, Hey guys, uh, did you read the book? So um, I reminded them that the book's not about the author. And then when they read it on fire, it's not a picture of O'Leary on the front. It's, it's, it's Miri letters, Miri, like they call it foil wrap. It reflects back to the reader, their own image. And the whole idea is that when they hold that book in their hands, they see not how great John is, but how great God is working through their life, not mine, through their life. So you said to me a moment ago, gosh, I guess your mom's the reason why you lived and sort of, but as you know, cause you really know the story, my brother's really the reason, but as you also know, as much as he did, had it not been for one of my sisters holding me in the front yard, it wouldn't have worked. And as nice as that was, had it not been for the other sister going back into a burning house, I would not have lived. And had it not been for the paramedics being on scene within 92 seconds of the phone call, I would not have lived. And they on and on and on. Like the sequence of people who showed up right on time, it was it was the body of the Christ, man. It was one by one. That's how this little boy lived. But that's not only true in my story, it's true in our stories. We just forget it as we try to live highly independent lives. Yes, yes. I love I love your sister that ran in and grabbed the cup of water repeatedly and threw it on your head. She's epic, man. And you know, she's seven and she is as feisty today as she was back then. I read a book years ago by John MacArthur called 12 Ordinary Men. And it, it's, uh, it's awesome. But it ultimately is this. If you and I were to begin the biggest podcast in the world, who would we surround ourselves with to do so? And you would probably think, well, man, I'd want a, I'd want a guy like MacArthur. That's for sure. And I'd like, you know, you, you name big. So then the question comes down to, okay, so who did Jesus pick for his 12? You know, the rabbis, because that's who I would pick. If I'm trying to create a big old Jewish movement, I'd get some really good rabbis. And the reality is, no, man, he, he went he went down a few pay grades. And so then what MacArthur does is he unpacks, what did Jesus see in those guys? 
And what it almost always sees is what we would perceive as negative, Christ saw as a positive. So what we see is the shadow. Uh, he sees the other side of it, which is all light. We see the long shadow, shadow of Peter, this impulsive, probably cursed a lot type of guy, always, always out there yelling, man, and feisty. Yeah, what an awesome rock to build a church on. Like, that's what we need. We need redeemed, but that's what we need. So when I look at my sister, I see this feisty, you know, first one in type of woman today. But who better to go back into a burning house for water? So, guys, it's important when you look in the mirror, those characteristics that you don't like, just recognize that those can be redeemed for good. And when you look at your wife and there's little characteristics you don't like, they're actually probably why you married her. Just remember that they can be redeemed for good. So uh, instead of continually always like the media looking at the shadow, be a little bit more like Christ, find the light and help help reflect that into a marketplace longing for it. Yes, absolutely. Reminds me of a, a podcast guest I had on before. She was talking about how we can criticize our wife all the time. And instead of criticize, she's like, why don't you look for the good and compliment as opposed to always looking for the negative or focusing on something that bugs you? Like, yeah, your life, your wife will lead a different life if you're focused on complimenting. I wasn't planning on segue into this part of the, during this part of the interview, but since we got there, could you share a little bit about the best Christmas present you ever gave? <laughs> yes. I, I didn't know for sure if you knew about that, but yes, um, <laughs> I wasn't going to drop a brag bomb on everybody, but yes, because the reality is I, like everyone struggle occasionally in, in relationship with everybody, but in particular, my beautiful wife, who I hear in the other room, you know, getting breakfast on for cousins and kids and everything else. We're recording this over the Christmas season. So in 2016, I, I wrote a book called On Fire and it came out and it did really well. And, and what that meant is beautifully, I got to travel a lot. I got to do a lot of presentations. And sometimes when you achieve success, what it also means is you miss out on the things that matter most in life. So I'm, I'm running and running and running, but it also means I'm not with the people that I ought to be serving, which led to a little bit of a, a fracture, not massive, but big cracks start with small ones. So this little, little baby cracks start forming as we wrap up the year. And I recognize, man, I want 2017 to be way better. So what I quietly did is I made a commitment, just like you suggested to your, your, your listeners to track the good. So on January 1st, 2017, I bought a cheap journal, leather bound, a lot of pages and wrote down the date one, one then began with the entry, dear Beth, dear Beth, and then made a commitment to her quietly that I was recognizing to myself throughout last year, I'd been so busy. And when I wasn't busy, I was looking at the things that were out of place. I was looking at maybe by accident at what wasn't good in her or in me or in us. And I recognized I wanted to do better. So on January 1st, made a commitment to every day, seek the beauty in her. And when I saw it, write it down. So on that day, I wrote down something beautiful she did or something she said, uh, ended with the words, I love you, John. And then on January 2nd, did the same thing. And January 3rd, did the same. And throughout the course of a year, I would just track as she went grocery shopping. Now, how, how, how majestic is that? Prepared meals, took care of the wash, got the kids out the door, made meals for neighbors, visited a sick friend, on and on and on. And I recognized every single day I was looking for it, it would show up. And what you we all know is what you focus on grows. 
what you track ultimately reveals what you think matters. And also how you show up affects the people that you're showing up for. So not only was this changing me without her even knowing it, it was changing us. And then 360 days into the year, Christmas morning, uh, I gave her this poorly wrapped present. No one wraps presents more poorly than O'Leary. That's a fact. <laughs> Use old newspaper and you know Webster Groves, Kirkwood Times, wrap this thing up, give it to her. And you know she wept. And I think the reason why, because I, I made her cry during a lot of times I give her presents because I give, I give the worst presents. But this time it was because it deeply moved her to know that over the course of a full year, I'd been that committed to actually make a love entry every single day to keep movie tickets and playing tickets and dinner receipts and just track this year we had together. So it's, it's cool. It's probably the best gift I gave, not only because of the year it led us through, but even now, because I still travel and life's still busy, there's still complications. I'll occasionally go upstairs and she's reading this little journal. So it continues to give light. Mm. I'm sure I know the answer to this question. However, just for the guys that are, uh, maybe in a similar situation where you do something for your wife, what was your expectation or thoughts or um, reasoning behind writing that? Right. Well, let, let me be very clear. It wasn't for her. It was a hundred percent for me. I, what you, your previous guest, apparently the lady you're quoting earlier, she wasn't trying to get you to change your wife's behavior. And if that is why you're doing this, you're doing this for the wrong reason. And if we're being honest, frequently re the reason we clean the kitchen or do the diapers or bring home more money in Q3 than Q2 is because we want to prove ourselves and then ultimately get them to change because they're not who we want them to be. This goal had nothing to do with that. This was about me changing my heart and my vision and my perspective and the way I showed up. And what I found is it worked. And if I'm being super honest with you, as we wrap 22, I'm considering doing it again for 23. Nice. Because it has to be done. And, and, you know, it's amazing to me how frequently the thing we do that gets us healthy, we stop doing once we're healthy. And there, there's even a book years ago, Alan Deutschman, I think, wrote it called Change or Die. Change or Die. And it's a really cool book. But it, the, the thesis is this. If you... If you knew that the thing you were doing was going to cause you to die, would you change? So if the thing you knew you were doing was going to cause you to die, would you change? And of course, the, the answer is yes. Nine, nine to one chance that we would. But here's the shocking part. Not make the change. Nine to one odds that you, as you smoke your cigarette during lunch break, would not stop smoking as you drive without your seatbelt, would not put the seatbelt in, as you eat the greasy fries, would not put the fries back, as you do this, as you overdrink, as you overindulge, as you do not work out, on and on and on. You don't change. You don't change. I think it's, you know, scripturally, it's part of the reason why it's like, no, do, no, do not go home. Do not pass go. Follow me now. Because once you decide to turn away from that thing, it's done. Change is actually extraordinarily hard. So this author unpacks, well, how do you change? How do you actually sustain change? And I'm going to, again, butcher this a little, little bit, but three things. One, you already know this. You need community. You, you, you can't change in a vacuum. You need to have a guy, if you're trying to lose weight, that meets you at the mailbox with the shoes on and says, hey, uh, I'll meet you at 530. We're going we're gonna to walk the neighborhood today and we're going to run it in a, in, a, in a year. But you need somebody waiting for you at the end of the, end of the block. 
And that accountability has to be so bold that if you're not there, they ring the doorbell until you come. They wake up the kids. They they ruin your marriage because that's how committed they are to you. <laughs> and that's how committed you are to them. So we need guys, man. That's number one, community. Secondly, and this one's always surprising to me, it's got to be hard. If you can take a pill to lower your blood pressure, the reality is when your blood pressure begins to lower, you stop taking the pill. So it's it's got to be dietary. It's got to be exercise. It's got to be really painful, actually. The more difficult the thing is, the more likely you can sustain it over time. So that's the second thing. And then thirdly, and this one won't surprise your listeners, it's got to be attached down to purpose. It can't be, I'm going to stop smoking because I hate spending $4 on Marlboro. You know, you would think that would be enough, but it's not. It's got to be a way where you look deeply in the mirror and you say, I've got a three-year-old daughter. She holds my hand everywhere she walks in this house. And in 23 years, she's going to want to hold my hand down down a long aisle. And I get to decide today, will I be the one who holds her hand or will it be her stepfather? Will it be the next one that steps and will it be her older brother because I'm not here for her? It's got to be deeply attached to why we're going to make that change in the first place, the the why behind it. So whether we're writing a journal for our bride or doing things differently in our faith or health, we need it to be relatively difficult. We need it to be attached to mission and we need need to do it with somebody else. Yes. Oftentimes we choose to do the easy thing, which isn't the most beneficial thing. Almost never. Yeah. Choosing to do the hard thing in many walks of life, all walks of life, creates the big results, creates the big change, helps others around us in our lives. So I'm glad glad that that was in the list of three, for sure, 100%. You mentioned a while back, three different questions. So tragedy strikes, things are going down, and three questions that people ask all the time. The first one was, why me? I'm like, oh yeah, why me? Like, why me? Like, this is horrible. Why me? What I do? Why me? Can you expand on those three questions? Sure. So I'll go through them in order. And frequently when I'm invited to present, I'll I'll lead with these questions. And it amazes me still that like it still works. You know? uh, but it always kind of surprises the listeners. What I what I are the viewers of the audience. The first question is why me? And everybody nods their head because we've all received the diagnosis or that unwanted phone call or that transition professionally or whatever the thing is that we didn't sign up for. And now it's part of our life. And the question frequently is why me? And then rather than looking up for hope and gratitude for what we still have, usually we look down, we kind of kick the dirt and then we passively whisper the second question, which is who cares? And who cares maritally or singleness or with an addiction or professionally or as a citizen, who cares leads to death. And I, I always like, I always feel like I'm being dramatic. Oh gosh, he's a highly dramatic man. Like, I don't think so. I think when you stop caring in your marriage, it's done. It's just done. Like it, it may not be over yet. It may be another month or three years, but it is done when you stop caring, when you stop caring in your health, when you stop caring in your faith, when you stop caring about our nation. When you stop caring about your brothers and sisters, it's done. So who cares is, a, is the second question. It's a dangerous question because indifference is. And the third question is, what more can I do? You know, about her or about my health or about Trump or Biden or the economy or my work. Like, what more can I do? I'm only one. I'm not big enough. So then as we flip the script, 
whether it's on a podcast with you, Dan, or in a speech with a big audience, what I say today, I want to give you three different questions. And those are these, and I have them write them down. Why me? You know, and like, they look at me like, what the heck? He's the poor man's apparently been drinking again. And then I'm like, no, why me? Uh, What are you grateful for? What do you've got? What blessings have you, maybe you've earned, but I want you to take inventory of all the ones you have not earned. Write them down. Why me? It's a long list, isn't it? So they make that list. Then who cares? This is about purpose and call and passion in your life. It's about why you're here, the difference you can make, the mark you can make in the society longing for it. So that's about living out your purpose and call. And the third is what more can I do to make tomorrow even better than today? Not the same, not less miserable. No, what more can I do to make it even better? And so although the questions are the same, and this is where you get down to the essence of really the work I do, the way we look at a problem or the world or a cold day, like the one you and I are currently seated in today, the way you look at life influences what you see and how you feel, how you brainstorm, what you pray about, what you fight for, what you let go of, how you'll meet someone else, the words you speak, the actions you take. And those of us, I know there's a lot of men listening to your podcast a lot of guys are results oriented. Fine. You want results. The results we get are driven by your perspective. So what I, what I try to remind folks is the power of asking questions through the lens of faith, because it changes, it changes everything that follows afterwards. You brought faith into it. What about, what about faith with ourselves? What about faith with God? What about stepping into that gap? There's something we want and there's a gap between it. What do we need? What can we do? What can, how can we think so that we can move through that gap? Well, yeah, I mean, the gap is there in all of our lives. And you and I were talking, I think, before we recorded that even the most successful folks need to be encouraged from time to time. You and I have a mutual friend who uh, seems highly successful and is. Yes. And struggles with self-worth and struggles with despair and struggles occasionally in isolation and like, so even the prayer you offered for the guys listening, <laughs> I promise you, some of them were seated listening, thinking, oh, that's for those other poor five guys. You know, God bless those dudes. I'm glad it's not me. And I would challenge that. I think from time to time through various seasons of our life, we are all five of those men. So the gap between who we are and whose we are always exists. Always. Our job daily, though, is to do the best we can in bridging the gap and even our prayer before you and I went live, you're like, man, what do you, what do you want during this podcast? And I'm like, dude, I want to get out of the way. Like I have no agenda. I'm not here to sell a thing. I want to become less. I want to be led and I want to surrender my will for his. The more we can have those two circles that seem separate overlap, the more radically successful we can become in life, sometimes financially. I'm not a guy who says, to, you know, give it all away. No, sometimes it's financial, but also I'm not a prosperity gospel guy either. I think the goal ought to be his will and then see what happens. For whatever reason, pray unceasingly. What are your thoughts of, about that one? <laughs> well, amen. And it's, it sounds like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. I, I'm, I'm on church on Sundays sometimes. Is, is that enough? And no, like I, the way we breathe ought to be a prayer. And the way we speak ought to be a prayer. And sometimes I'll speak at very, very, very secular conferences. Question 13 on our surveys, what topics do you not want John to, to speak on? <laughs> there are two, always two. Number one, politics. 
So I can't wear, I'm like, I'm with her shirt or uh, I'm making America great and glorious again. Apparently I can't wear either of my shirts. <laughs> no politics, they say. And the second thing O'Leary can't do, no faith, man. No faith. Do not, do not do that. It's too divided. It's too ugly. So uh, I have to be mindful of how I exude my faithfulness sometimes. Um, I think St. Francis preached the gospel always, sometimes used words. During those times where they challenged me to be a little bit less faith-centered, I still use the name of God. I still talk about the power of faith. I still talk about the power of prayer. And although I may not quote James 1, 2 through 4, what I uh, always find on the back end is the atheists are coming up to me afterwards, thanking me and wondering why there's joy in my life. And now I've got a chance to evangelize. You do not if you are beating people over the head. But you do if you meet them gracefully with love at the well where they are. So that's always cool. And the second thing is those who are in the front row of church in these big secular audiences come up and they're like, man, thank you for your testimony. I'm like, wow, because that wasn't my testimony. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your testimony. So um, the I say all that because that, that, the backstory is this. As I speak, as I'm on podcasts, I'm always praying, God, your will, your words. Your life, not me, not mine, not mine. So the more we can just keep turning it over to him, the less we deal with anxiety, the less we deal with fear, the less we even struggle with, do what question should I ask O'Leary next? Or how do I respond to Dan's question? Because it's not about us. Like, Lord, your will be done. So prayer unceasingly and watch what happens in your life. And one more thing, Dan, if we're tuning always into talk radio, and I mean like political radio or sports radio or reading the next blog or on Facebook all the time, you will be unable to pray because you're not praying. You're, mm. you're, you're following someone else's life or you're paying attention to who the Cardinals picked up most recently or how the bill kids let you down again two nights ago or whatever else is going on. Your life is not focused on him. It's focused on stuff. And although I love sports, uh, I drive almost like I don't have a radio and I travel without the Wi-Fi on. And I'm, I'm not aware of what's happening in Hollywood. Like, uh, I, I think the more we can be in his presence rather than in the presence of the most recent free agent signing, the more we can pray unceasingly and then be change agents for good again. Yes. Such a good point. Noise. Noise takes us away from the things that are important. Frankly, call it out. The devil puts noise into our life, and we can choose to accept it or reject it. Uh, you talked about Sabbath on a podcast recently. Taking Sunday off, rest, refresh. So super, super key. One thing, I shared I shared this story. I work out with a group of guys all the time, and your father has Parkinson's. And at one point in time, you ask your father, you know, Dad, this, and I don't know if this is the way you teed the question up. But the way I heard it was, Dad, you've got Parkinson's. Like that's got to be horrible. Like uh, that's a that's a life sentence. Like this is a, a always and a never. Like this is constant and never going to get better. Got to be terrible, right, Dad? What was his answer? Hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, you you met Dad a couple of weeks ago. And although he did not say a word that night, he is the most joyful guy in any setting. 
And where you met him was a group of probably 40 successful, relatively faithful guys and ladies. Uh, and in the most physical pain and struggling most financially and dealing with the greatest cross was a man rolled in by his wife, my mom. He is faithful. He's compassionate. He's content. Men hear that word. He's content in all things. He's just a, he's an awesome example. So years ago when he still was able to speak, we're on a screen porch and I said, dad, why don't you ever complain? You know, life is so hard and it is unfair. And he's been treated unfairly by business partners. And for, like, he's just, he's had a difficult life. And his response was, how could I, when I've got, I've got everything. I've, I've got everything. How can I complain when God is so good to me? So I said, can you give me three things you're grateful for because of Parkinson's disease? And his response, and you know, you can think about that, dude. Three things you're grateful for because your wife walked out on you, because your business partner cheated on you. Because think of the worst thing, listeners, you've been through, and then imagine some annoying motivational speaker saying, now give me three things you're grateful for because of that. And it's, it's hard to have an answer, but dad did come up with three. He said, I'm grateful it wasn't a more serious disease. I'm grateful for the time at home with my kids and my grandbabies. And I'm grateful for your mom. He said, uh, everyone else keeps pushing me farther away, but she just keeps stepping closer and closer and closer. I haven't earned her love, but I love her and I'm grateful for her. And as I'm getting ready to hug my dad, he says to me, John, sit back down. I'm not done. I got more. So on this little screen porch, I sit back down and I'm, I've always got a journal next to me. So I, I just take notes and I'm going to forget part of his list, but he ultimately came up with 17 items. He talked about things like um, he is grateful for the handicap spot, which is pretty hilarious. He <laughs> said, everywhere your mother drives me, we're rock stars here in St. Louis. He said, I'm grateful for the gift of compassion. When I was on top of the world, I don't think I saw the needs of those who felt buried by the weight of the world. I've joined them. My cataracts have been cut away. My heart has been opened. And he went on and on. He just talked about all the things in his life he's grateful for. And the final thing on his list was, I'm grateful for being healed, even if not cured. He said, the miracle is already took. He said, my life is not easy, but the promise of salvation awaits me. And every single day I wake up before your mother, I look east and I wait for it. I wait for the sun to rise. I wait for the light to cut through the darkness. And it reminds me life is not easy or perfect this side of eternity, but it is good and the best is yet to come. Mm. Gosh, there's so much to learn from a statement like that. So much to learn. And your dad, amazing. He was holding court at your house. Yeah, he's a show off. I don't, he's got a lot more friends than I do, and he doesn't talk, which really annoys me. So there's something to be learned, even in that. I, I think people, people like being heard. And dad listens and he cares and he looks you in the eye and he smiles the whole time you're speaking with him. He's just a joyful guy. And I love how you talk about happy and joyful. Happy is one thing and joyful is actually the thing that we should strive for. Totally. They're different. And the world sells you happy. And man, there's right around the Christmas season, they are selling happy hardcore. But um, what we know about this season is eventually the, the living room becomes a mess, wrapping papers everywhere. Half the things break on the 25th or the 26th. And one of my favorite comments years ago, my son, Jack, finishes opening his 17th present, maybe 18th. I wasn't counting. And after opening this present, he's like six years old. He looks at me and says, is that all? 
Is that all? Like, what the? What do you mean? Is that all? You little son of a. I did the same like, thing that's to my exactly parents. Right? Is that all? Like all the running we did, all the parties we went to, all the church services we already hit up, all the, the outfits we bought, everything we did, the presents, man, wrap, perfect stockings. Yeah, that is all, and none of that garbage matters. It's fun. It's good. I'm not. I'm not anti-materialism, but it is not the stuff ultimately that brings joy. It brings a momentary whisper of a smile, and then that smile fades. What we ought to pursue is what my dad has in spades, and it is joy, and it is attractive, and it is different, and it is what we long for. Yes. Yeah. It's lasting. It's lasting. And people see that and say, what have you got? Why are you smiling all the time? Is that real? Because I can't believe it's real. Right. So. And you, you know, you're you're an example. So if you don't have somebody in your life that exudes joy, find one. Find one. Yeah. Hang hang out with one. Offer to help. Offer to just spend time with them because chances are they could use an encourager in their life. And you might think you don't even have one talent, but everybody's got the talent of being able to be an encourager and and helping somebody else. So um John mentioned he had one talent. So I know you've got at least one talent. And people listening, same, same for you. Well, the, and the deal with talents is you can broaden and build. So, it, so again, some of your listeners are just high achievers and high capability. But for those of us listening, like longing for a lifeline, like, yeah, the way you ultimately climb is you, you pull your left hand in front of your right, left foot in front of the right, and you step and you pull and you tug. And as you journey forward, you start picking up new talents and gifts and abilities along the way. So very few of us are born the star quarterback, you know, but, but many of us can become far better than we were yesterday, but you got to keep stepping forward. You got to pick up your mat. You got to do something. You got to stop waiting and start moving. So you play poker with your son, Jack. The punk. Have you gotten any better? No, man, I'm horrible. I, I, I can't bluff. I don't know when to go in. I'm not good at math. I'm not. And that little punk is good at bluffing. He is good at calling out. He is good at math. He knows what's been played. He knows what the odds are. And he's aggressive. So that that little jerk, he beat me last night, man. We have a little baby <laughs> pool table downstairs. And they like to take the balls, get rid of them, and set it up like a like a pool hall or like a card hall. So on the on the the felt table, we played a little poker last night, and that kid takes my money every time. Yeah, I love love his answer. Why do you beat me, son? Why do you beat me, Jack? Well, Dad, yeah. it works like this. I play to win, and you play not to lose. Yeah. Isn't that a cool? Yeah. I love that philosophy in life is play to win. If, if you look at the early church and you compare it to the one we have today, the early church played to win. Like they, there, was, there, was no, uh, there is no overtime coming up. Like This thing, it, it is now or it's never, and we're going to get after it. And because of that, folks lived, and I don't mean like uh, they were they were kind of cool. No, no, no. They lived radically different, so different that it changed society, changed the world permanently. And uh, I think frequently these days we play, whether it's as Christians or as men or as leaders, not to lose. And so I, I think Jack's approach to poker, but certainly approach to life, is is the way ultimately to change. It's the ultimate. It's the way to win. Let's get after it. Let's be all in every hand. So guys that are drifting aimlessly, I hope you heard that spot. Play to win. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun. And you win. And one other thing, guys, 
figure out what it is that you want. So often you ask another guy, hey, what do you want? And guys have a hard time answering that request and telling somebody else what they want. So think think that one through. Uh, on that thought, just guys, if you're like, I don't even know where to begin, man. I think I need a new car. Like maybe. You really may need a new car. But but start with the end in mind. Um, all the way even to the degree of like, consider writing an obituary. Give give a eulogy at your own funeral. What's being said about you? What's being written about you? What impact did you have on your spouse or your kids or your parents or neighbors, your community, whatever whatever community that is? And then reverse engineer up to it. I, I think six year vision plan is really a, a brilliant brilliant idea. And then backing into that with three years and then eighteen months, we try to get a lot more done in a day than we could do in a week, but we aim super small at what we can do over the course of three years or six years or a lifetime. So think about that lifetime and then reverse engineer all the way back to like, okay, so what do I, what do I want to get done today? That's awesome. I love that. I, we've got a group we call the ascent and that's the assignment vision three to five year, and then 12 week goals. And then your action steps inside of it. And guy finishes assignment. He says, how is it? And I said, well, it's an A plus if we're grading structure. Like you've got the the smart goals, you got the action steps, everything's perfect. However, uh, you get an F actually. It's like, why do I get an F? I'm like, there's no grades, but on this one, you get an F because you haven't sent your vision yet. So you've got all these action steps that are perfect, but I don't know if it's even where you want to go. These right. may be taking you a direction that don't support. He goes, oh, huh. Like you put your ladder maybe on the wrong wall. You're right. climbing up the wrong way. So yeah, that that one's a big one. You uh, talk about having dirty feet or ugly feet. <laughs> you asked me to talk about my ugly feet. What's what's that mean? So I was interviewing a fella who videotaped Mother Teresa for the last time her she visited the United States, and here's this 85 year old woman coming in. You know, she's clearly made her mark on the world. She's a little Albanian nun. So he's not sure where to look when she walks into the room. First time they're going to interact. So this guy looks down and first he sees the top of her head, like way down below him. <laughs> I mean, she's a little lady. And then below that little head, he keeps looking down and that's when he sees her feet. And when he looks at her feet, his first reaction was repulsion. He said, I've never seen uglier feet in my entire life than this woman's feet. And our first response probably as you're hearing that is to laugh or like kind of be, I don't know, like what's wrong with this guy? Why is he talking about her feet? Well, the reason why it matters is after he looks at her feet, he starts to notice her toes. The toes are bent over one another. Then he looks and they're scarred, not because of a fire, but because of work. They're, <laughs> they're bruised. In some areas, they're bloodied. They're wounded. And then as he goes farther down into how ugly these feet are, he recognizes and these are the feet of a saint. These are the feet of a woman who spent a lifetime walking the areas that no one else wants to walk and serving those who no one else wants to serve and trying to hold on to those that no one else wants to touch, trying to be the hands and the feet of a, of a, of a loving God in a marketplace where everyone else walks in the opposite direction. So we recognize that these ugly feet are the feet of a saint. So I heard that story years ago and it just stirred me because like at the end of the day, like I, I want ugly feet. Uh, I want to have the kinds of feet that uh, <laughs> as they're walking around my casket with their chicken salad and, uh, you know, cornbread, 
maybe my, my, the top of the casket's not open. Maybe it's a bottom open casket and I'm shoeless and sockless. And everyone's commenting, my gosh, O'Leary had the ugliest freaking feet I've ever seen. Because I think we ought to strive for a whole lot of things in our life. You talked about the vision plan a moment ago, but part of that vision ought to include your feet. And we ought to we ought to strive to have ugly feet as we serve others. Yeah, absolutely. I love your story the other day that you shared on your podcast, guys. You should listen to this episode for sure on the Live Inspired podcast. You talked about a guy who was the merchant of death in the newspaper. He literally read his own newspaper story about his own death. He hadn't died, and he sees what the world would have thought about him had he actually been the guy that died that day. That the story mistakenly got written about him. It was just an incredible uh, thing to experience as a person. We should all be so lucky. He he saw how people remembered him. It's almost like what's the guy who gets visited by the three ghosts during the, yeah, it's a wonderful life. No, maybe. So it's a wonderful life. Like when you see how you will be remembered, if you die today, it almost without doubt, it will change the way you live today. Because very few of us are, it goes back to the gap between who we are and who we want to become or who God wishes us to become. There's a gap there. There's also a gap between how we're living and how we wish we were living. And the more clearly we see how we're being remembered, the more likely we are to make the change to live differently. So the guy you're referencing is Alfred Nobel. His brother passes away and they write about how horrible this guy was, the merchant of death. And he recognizes, man, that's not how I want to be remembered. So he starts living the last seven years of his life radically differently. And now when you think of Alfred Nobel, you don't think about the guy who invented dynamite or TNT or becomes the merchant of death nation over nation, builds tens of millions of tens of billions of dollars of net worth. Instead, you think of a guy who is remembered as the Prince of Peace, the Nobel Peace Prize. And so, uh, yeah, we at any age, regardless of our past, have an opportunity today to change. Thanks for recapping that. That that just was amazing to to hear that one. Your and again, your podcast, I love it. It's it's inspirational. It's real. You're you've got the greatest people you interview, and then you've got your small segments that you do personally, which are the ones I personally love the most. I appreciate that. Anything you want to throw out there before we before we close? I've got a, a question for you in addition to whatever you're going to say, and then. I always like to end with a challenge. So something you can challenge the guys to do, something that they can do week to week, something maybe not necessarily simple, but something that they can accomplish between the week. So feel free to take uh, all day if you want on anything else you want to talk about, but that, that's how we'll close out is, is on those topics. Gosh, I mean, that's so broad, but I, it, so ultimately the question is how do we distill the last 51 minutes into one poignant next right step. That's what I hear. So I would do this if I were listening to this show and I wanted to just take the next right step in my life. I would make inventory of the things that I'm doing that are pulling me away from God's will for my life. And if that's websites I'm visiting when no one else is looking, if it's garbage radio that I'm tuning into when I'm driving, if it's articles that are reminding me how corrupt our government is and how crappy our nation is and what a horrible human Biden is or Trump is, whatever way you want to lean politically, fine, if I have at it. But I'm telling you right now that what you focus on will grow. And if you're only focused on how the cards are doing or how Trump is doing or how on and on, that is where your focus will be. 
So I would begin by making an inventory of everything that I'm doing right now as we wrap up 22 and move toward 23 that pulls me away from becoming the best version of myself. And that's going to be a long list. And I would use this as a season to clean the closet. Just because we did it a lot yesterday doesn't mean we need to do it today and tomorrow. So these habits, whether it's, again, around the sites or the articles or the blogs or the media or the drinking or the drugs or the food or the busyness or the background, all this stuff, I'm telling you right now, it's a lie. And it ultimately is not helpful. I promise you, Christ, while he walked among us, wasn't reading the headlines of the day. The, the Pharisees were, they were highly equipped to challenge. Yeah, yeah. But he, he was loving people. He was living in the word and among the people. So I would, I would have you all make a list of things you're doing that are pulling you away from being present. And you will find so much more freedom now to step into this day and this week and things that are life-giving. So I would replace one of those activities with something that you know will bring you life. And not only you life, but someone around you life. So then I would make a commitment to do one thing. What I'm committing to publicly on this podcast, hopefully she won't hear it, is I'm going to make an inventory of my wife every day for this coming year. I'm going back to that love list. I'm not going to tell her. I'm just going to do it. And in addition to tracking her beauty, I want her to see mine. I want to do something for her every day that I wasn't doing the day before. So that's what I'm going to do is I take out the trash and plenty for earlier to take out too. So I'm not here to preach at you downhill. I'm looking in the mirror too. I've got a a closet that is packed with garbage that needs to be removed. So I'm going to remove some of that, replace it with something more life-giving and and track the beauty of my wife every day. But I'm going to do that. I'm going to challenge one of my friends. His name is Matt to join me on this because I want him to, to do the same thing. And the commitment is this, to text one another once we track the beauty. So I'm sharing all this because the process has to be not only what you're not going to do, what you're going to start doing and someone you're going to start doing it with. So you need an accountability partner. If yours is a commitment around weight, great. Then work out with a friend. I would imagine the group you're referencing might be F3. I don't know. That's exactly it. Yes. The the beauty of that group is like, you're not like, Hey, I'm going to get into into the word. I'm going to start being a better guy. I'm going to work out by myself. Uh Uh-uh. You're going to show up. You're going to meet some great dudes who are going to be honest with you. You're going to get a nickname. You're going to start running the good race. And you're going to start doing things differently because you're not doing it by yourself. So my commitment is to empty my own trash, to start filling it up with something more life-giving and to do it with Matt. That's my, that's my commitment to me. So I don't know what your guys are going to choose. And in fact, you put me on the spot, Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the one thing you're going to do as a result of this 14 hour and 13 minute session with O'Leary today? <laughs> I made a commitment yesterday, and that is to uh, reach out to guys inside of the journey of a Christian dad community and get to know them better and see if we can't energize the community more fully. Uh, On Monday, I'm sending an email out to a a list of guys that I've compiled, uh, inviting them to an event and also inviting them into a a deeper, uh, deeper relationship. And especially if they'll, uh, consider it inside journey of a Christian dad, but I'm, I'm also going to reach out to individuals and uh, my intention, which I haven't scheduled it yet is to uh, just schedule an open call for anybody that wants to jump on. That's, that's inside of that as well. So awesome. now that I've said it, this will air after the week has passed. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I better schedule that open call and, uh, and get some guys to jump that's on. That's the beauty of going public. It, we, we are so 
brilliant at letting ourselves off the hook. And that's why you've got to have a brother or a sister, a friend, a spouse, a pastor, a coach, a guy in AA who says, hey, you didn't, you didn't call yesterday. You didn't check in, dude. Because at least for me, I can't speak for you and your listeners. I'm great at making excuses. No one makes them better than I'm busy. I have so many responsibilities. I don't feel good this morning. Can you could probably hear it in my voice? I'm not going to like all these excuses. We are quick to give ourselves. Well, that's why we need someone to hold us accountable to truth and to becoming a better version of ourselves. So you went public. So did I, and I look forward to, to both of us taking the next right step. That was awesome. And all the, all the podcasts we've had, I've never had a guest challenge themselves and then come back and challenge me. So thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, so here's my final question for you. So if you had your home burning down, <laughs> your family's all out, your amazing, joyful, saint-like wife, Beth, is safe and out, all your four children are out, Emma, your dog, comes <laughs> running out, so you're all safe, and you've got an opportunity to want to run in and grab one thing, what would you grab? So that question sounds familiar. I imagine so. So uh, for the folks who don't know, I have a podcast too. And, and um, it's a question. I think it's question number four that I ask all my guests. We've had 530 or so. And I'm always amazed. I'm amazed. Okay. This question comes because my sister, Susan O'Leary, when her house was burning and she's seven years old and she's scared, went into a burning house for a cup of water to throw on my face. And it just distills down what matters most during crisis for her, her brother's life. It was worth risking everything. So for us, as we think about what matters most, what, what are we willing to risk? And uh, many of my guests will say things like, I'd get my cell phone. I'd get my wallet. I'd get my passport. One guy said, I'd get a bag of marshmallows. I'd put them on the end of a stick and I'd watch the house burn. I like that one. <laughs> but uh, sometimes they'll grab like one, one lady grabbed a, a, a plastic a plastic cross. She, this woman built a billion dollar business. So I said, my plastic cross, why buy a new one? And she said, when we had nothing, and I mean nothing, John, my mother bought this little thing. It, it hung in our kitchen and now it hangs in my kitchen. And it reminds me not only of our faith, but of my mother and all she risked to come to our nation and to build a better life for her and now for me. So like, it, it's like these things like this that we want to go back into a burning house for. Uh, so when you asked the question originally, the thought I had was that crystal baseball that when you were in our living room, Jack mm-hmm. Buck gave me this ball and it is just so cool. It's so beautiful. But today when I really am honest about it, I would let that ball burn. I would let the wallet and the marshmallows burn. And I would actually get that journal. I gave Beth. Um, it's leather bound. It's coffee stained. There's wine on three pages. It's, it's kind of a train wreck of a journal. But it, for me, it serves as just this awesome building block again on, on focusing on what we have. That year, I mean, we, man, we went through a lot that year as a community. Like there, there was there was crisis, and yet there was God's hand in the middle of it. So as I watch my home burn with my kids and wife and dog outside with that little journal in hand, it would remind me, hey, yeah, he's going to work through this too. That's awesome. I, I thought that might be your answer. I don't know why I thought that might be your answer, but that is a that is an awesome thing you created, and then an awesome set of memories to to bring back and tie you in. And 
help you grow your love with your wife. So I'm glad you're also recommitted to to doing a very similar project and you got the accountability around you. So you'll go. No, I heard it, man. You but next time you see me, you better say, dude, what you better be on like February 15th, dude. You better have 45 in the bank. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know when you throw a uh, a stone in the in the pond, it creates a ripple effect and goes out from there. So as I was thinking about recording this with you, I was thinking, gosh, I wish I could invite everybody I know and get them on Zoom with us live so they could experience this live and be in community with us and be emotional with us and see see this happen. And I thought, well, that that's not really possible. However, we are recording it, can share it with tons and tons of people. And I thought, in addition to that, it'd be awesome if they made a movie about your life and took some of the things that we talked about in this podcast and actually awesome. broadcast it. You mentioned the crystal baseball that Jack Buck gave you from him being inducted into the Hall of Fame, like one of his most prized possessions, and he gave it to you and said, you know, I hope you value it, you know, as much as I do. And they are making a movie about your life. They're working on putting it together now. And one of the funniest lines in the movie is, uh, hope you value it as much as I do and uh, don't drop it. Totally. What a punk. It's crystal. It's crystal (laughs) baseball, Larry. Don't drop it. So that was awesome. But with that movie being made, it's going to be made independently. And guys, if you like the story that you heard, if you like some of the messages that are coming out of this, this movie is set up in a way where it can change millions of lives. So there's one thing about going to a Sunday service and a pastor talking inside of a church. It's different, you know, Maybe there's 200 people in the church, 1,000 people in the church once a week. And if you talk to 1,000 once a week for a year, it's 50,000. If you do that for 10 years, you're you know, 600,000 or 500,000. A movie sometimes gets a million people the first day to see it. So my question for the guys listening, we're looking for some investors to help fund this movie. It's going to run about $8 million. And of the $8 million, we've raised $4.2 million already. So if you know somebody that may be interested, may have some excess cash, may have some savings, that might would be interested in being part of funding a movie that's going to help change the world, cool. uh, my ask is, uh, reach out to me. Let me know. The Christian Dad Podcast at gmail.com is my email address. Most of you guys got me on uh, Facebook. You can shoot me a message. But if you've got some interest in hearing more, Uh, I'd love to share more with you. Thank you for considering that. Thanks for sharing this podcast with others. Thanks for rating, reviewing, and all that type thing. But my one hope from this podcast, besides affecting those five guys, is also to get this movie funded. And um, guys, I've read the script. I've seen it. I know all about it. It's amazing. If you love this podcast, you'll love the movie even more. And we're really close to being able to to get this thing moving. So I'm shaking a little bit over here because I'm so excited about the possibility and, uh, and getting this out to the world. So thanks for listening to me talk about that. And again, thanks for considering and thanks for, thanks for sharing that idea with others. And if you could do it swiftly, that would be great because I'm ready to get this movie out there to the world. I pause and I'm just watching John's reaction, guys. Well, it's, I mean, it's surreal. Like, you know, I don't feel like a worthy movie worthy guy, but the, the movie celebrates the father's love and um, th- that's awesome. So yeah, like I, I'm committed to it as well. And 
I think there's an opportunity as good as this thing is to make it even better. And I do think we're going to affect a hundred million lives with this movie, which is a pretty big goal, but the most important life is like one and one and one. So I'm not a big mega church guy. I'm not a big uh, bright light guy. I think the way you change the world is one life at a time. And what I'm most excited about is actually the final scene, which is incredible, but then it ends not with the scene as zipper zipper has told it before, but it ends with an invitation to join us to get into community with us. And that's when this thing goes from being a good movie to being culturally important and transformational. So I, yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm convicted. And I think in Q1 of 23, we're going to finish funding this thing. We're going to start seeing actors fly into the Midwest to be part of this thing in the middle summer months. And we're going to see this thing touch live starting off in 24 in mighty ways. I can't wait. It's so exciting. And I knew that would make you uncomfortable with me saying that in front of you. So <laughs> it all makes me uncomfortable, man. But yes, that that also movies make me uncomfortable too, along with podcasts, books, everything makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I appreciated you the other day uh, for just allowing God to use you, use your life, use your story, and for you to be uncomfortable and get in these new situations that um, can be tough to say yes to. So thank you. Thank you, Dan. All right, guys. That was it. That was my best effort. That was uh that was God working through us. And um man, I can breathe a sigh of relief now. I think it went well. <laughs> Success, baby. Home run. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you guys and look forward to seeing you next week. That challenge that John threw out, that's gold. That's pure gold, guys. I encourage you to dig into that. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.